as you <laughs> get shocked and surprised by the recording, uh, go ahead and open your eyes if you had them closed and perhaps reintroduce yourself to the room or to the space that you're in. Uh, perhaps some body movement is in order, so feel free to stand up or, or stretch, yawn. Before we get started this evening, as the email said, I invite you to grab a warm drink, warm beverage of your liking. I'll try to slowly get started so that you don't miss uh, too much of anything. But for those of you who are just now joining us, uh, my name is Eli. I'm a resident priest here at uh, City Center, San Francisco Zen Center. And I'll be hosting, or Alex is hosting, I'll be speaking tonight at Yaz. Uh, welcome back to Friends of Old. And if this is your first time joining the, uh, the party, uh, just to give you a little overview, um, I'll give some words or share some words for about 25 minutes. And then we'll have some time for question and answer, uh, followed by um, some small group so that uh, everyone can communicate amongst themselves. And again, if this is your first time, uh, deep welcome. Um, there's somebody new here every single week. Well, I mean, there's like five or six of us that rotate. Um, but uh, yeah, I invite you to come back many, many times. So as you may have um, read in the uh, email that went out, uh, today's talk is definitely uh, calls for uh, some, something warm to drink. And uh, during the winter months, uh, traditionally, I've been drawn to cozying up with a hot drink and really engaging more with uh, a book, maybe a movie, a story of some sort. And in more recent years, uh, a touching Dharma talk uh, to kind of just, I don't know, put me in the mood. And so being that it's that time of year, I felt called to share a couple of stories that have touched me over the years, uh, as well as share some of, or one of my favorite passages from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, as well as some personal uh, stories. And all, everything I'm, I'm speaking of tonight really is about giving, receiving, and gift, uh, which in Buddhism is referred commonly as the three wheels. So perhaps, uh, or my hope is that these stories give you some perspective on how uh, our relationship to this wheel can be both trapping or transformative. So the uh, first thing I wanted to start off with was some words uh, by Suzuki Roshi. It's a little longer than I would normally share, but he's worth it. So this again is from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and the chapter is God-giving. For every existence in nature, every existence in human world, every cultural work of art that we create is something which is given or being given to us, relatively speaking. But as everything is originally one, we are, in actuality, giving out everything. Moment after moment, we are creating something. And this is the joy of our life. 
But this I, which is creating and always giving out something, is not the small I. It is the big I. Even though you do not realize the oneness of the big I with everything, when you give something, you feel good. Because at that time, you feel at one with what you are giving. This is why it feels better to give than to take. We have a saying, Danya Prajna Paramita. Dana means to give. Prajna is wisdom, and Paramita means to cross over or to reach the other shore. Our life can be seen as a crossing of a river. The goal of our life's effort is to reach the other shore, Nirvana. Prajna Paramita, the true wisdom of life, is that in each step of the way, the other shore is actually reached. Dogen Zenji said, and Dogen is our Soto Zen um, Japanese ancestor, to give is non-attachment. That is, just not to attach to anything is to give. It does not matter what is given. To give a penny or a piece of leaf is Danya Prajna Paramita. To give one line or even a word of the teaching is Danya Prajna Paramita. If given in the spirit of non-attachment, the material offering and the teaching offering have the same value. With the right spirit, all that we do, all that we create, is Danya Prajna Paramita. So Dogen said, to produce something is to participate in human activity is also Danya Prajna Paramita. To provide a ferry boat for people or to make a bridge for people is Danya Prajna Paramita. Actually, to give one line of a teaching may be to make a ferry boat for someone. According to Christianity, and as he goes on, he uses the, the word God a lot. I'm going to be a little bit flexible with that because really um, we're speaking about uh, interconnectedness. You could call it Buddha. You could call it Allah. You could call it oneness. You could call it the universe. But every existence in nature is something which is created or given to us by the universe. That is the perfect idea of giving. But when you think that God created man, and you are somehow separate from the universe, you're liable to think that you have the ability to create something separate, something not given by her. For instance, we create airplanes and highways, and we repeat, I create, I create, I create. Soon we forget who is the actual I which creates various things. We soon forget about the universe. We forget about interconnectedness. This is the danger of human culture. Actually, to create with the big eye is to give. We cannot create and own what we create for ourselves since everything was created by God. This point should not be forgotten. But because we do forget who is doing the creating and the reason for creation, we become attached to the material or exchange value. This has no value in comparison to the absolute value of something as the universe's creation. 
even though something has no material or relative value to any small eye, it has absolute value in itself. Not to be attached to something is to be aware of its absolute value. Everything you do should be based on such an awareness and not on material or self-centered ideas of a value. Then whatever you do is true giving, is danya prajna paramita. And so there's like a whole other half to this chapter, um, but uh, we'll go ahead and, and continue and perhaps I'll pick it back up down the road. Not tonight, but another night. So Danya Prajna Paramita is the three wheels. And uh, we, don't, we do so easily forget the big I, the universe, uh, our interconnected nature, God, whatever you want to refer to this as, um, that is creating. And this can really cause problems. It can also cause a sense of separation with our lives or the lives of others as well as cause us to kind of lose track to our moment-to-moment -moment actions of giving and receiving. So before I uh, came to practice, I will confess, um, and I still do, I often find myself caught in the realm of the small I. Um, and in that theme, and before I transition into the next story, I uh, wanted to share, I guess, a bit of my, my past life. So less often now, but in the, the past, like I said, I've been quite afflicted by the bite of consumerism. Um, so not just during the holidays, but in general, 365. Before coming to Zen Center about or a little around 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I found ourselves quite habitually engaging in a continuous cycle of following material desires in an, an attempt to kind of hold our life together or more so fixed problems. Um, we would do that to celebrate others um, and to feel whole. Uh, in that habitual pattern, we found ourselves working in pretty well-paying jobs in order to support this and upkeep that. As a way of meeting life, we would do this in order to support that um, and to fulfill X, Y, and Z. And for the most part, it was, I guess it worked to an extent uh, until we were confronted by, um, you could say suffering or by loss and other circumstances that uh, we couldn't just fix with stuff. So prior to the, those events that pushed us to practice, uh, we did take plenty of vacations, had exciting nights out and a pretty vibrant social life. However, we noticed that when we go on these great vacations, let's say Hawaii, instead of enjoying the moment, we were caught up in taking pictures to make sure that we could post about it. Or instead of staring at the stars, we would spend time actually planning future trips or thinking about how someday we'd buy a vacation house in order to ensure our happiness down the road. Uh, because of our fondness of, of having these nights out, we would spend uh, most of our weekends or most of our weeks kind of in this bypass mode, Monday through Friday, uh, as if our day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience was more or less emotion to go through. Of course, until the 
fun of the weekend resumed. And yes, we definitely had, a, a, I think, relatively healthy or good social life. Um, but rather than when we'd meet up with our friends, rather than having deep conversations and enjoying each other, we'd all kind of collectively gather, engage in complaining about the Monday through Friday activities that we bypassed, uh, recapping vacations that we went on or the plans we have for the, the next however so. And then of course have a couple of drinks in order to drop down into a more connected and sentimental conversations that quite often um, we'd forget about by the end of the night. And I don't know if any of you share in any of that experience or have your own version of uh, consumeristic involvement. Uh, hopefully you're a, a little more wise than we were. But when I heard this next story uh, that I'm about to share, uh, I could certainly relate. So uh, the next story I'm gonna share is one I heard from Ajahn Brahm, who's a British Australian uh, Theravada monk. You can, you can Google him. Uh, and I don't know the name of this story, but I know it comes from a book he wrote called Don't Worry, Be Grumpy, inspiring stories um, for making the most out of each moment. And so here's the story. A good nun lived a very simple life with few possessions and dwelling in a cave. Every morning, she would take her alms bowl to a nearby village just to collect enough food for one meal for the day. She had plenty of time to meditate study and teach what she knew to any of the local villagers. When she returned from her alms round one morning, she noticed a hole in her spare robe. So she found a small piece of cloth and hand sewed a patch onto the robe. She'd done this before. You see, in her cave lived a family of mice. They liked nibbling in her robes, on her robes. While sewing, she thought that if she had a cat, then there would be no mice. And so she wouldn't have to spend so much time sewing patches. So the next day, she asked the villagers for a cat and they gave her a well-behaved brown cat whose color matched her robes. The cat needed milk and fish. So the nun had to ask the villagers for these extra items every morning. One morning, she thought, hmm, if I owned my own cow, then I wouldn't need to keep asking for milk to feed the cat to keep away the mice that chewed her robes. So she asked one of her wealthy supporters for a cow. Once the nun had a cow, she had to get grass for the cow to eat. So she begged the villagers for grass to keep her cow, to provide milk for the cat, to keep away the mice that chewed her robes. I'm sure some of you can see where this is going. After a few days, the nun thought if she had her own field, then she would not need to harbor the poor, uh, harass the poor villagers for grass every day. She arranged for a collection to be made to buy a nearby pasture, to provide grass for her cow, to provide milk for the cat, to keep the mice away that chewed her robes. It was a lot of work look, looking after the pasture, catching the cow every morning and milking it. So she thought that it would be helpful to have a boy, a young attendant, who could do all these chores for her. In return, the nun would give him moral guidance and teachings. 
The villagers selected a boy from a poor family in dire need of some moral guidance. Now she had a boy to look after her pasture to provide grass for a cow to provide for milk for the cat to keep the mice away that chewed her robes. Now the nun needed to collect more than twice as much food every morning because the boy eats a lot or a young boy eats a lot. Moreover, she needed to get a small hut nearby for the boy to sleep in because it was against the rules for a boy to sleep in the cave with the nun. So she asked the villagers to build a hut for her boy who looked after the pasture to provide grass for her cow to provide milk for the cat to keep away the mice that chewed her robes. By this time, she began to notice that the villagers started to avoid her. They were afraid that she was gonna ask them for something more. Even when they saw the brown cow approach in the distance, thinking it was the nun, they would run or hide in their houses with their door securely bolted and the curtains drawn over the windows. When a villager did come to ask her some questions on meditation, she said, sorry, not now, I'm too busy. I have to check on the hut being built for the boy who looks after my field to graze the cow that provides the milk for my brown cat that keeps away the mice so I don't need to keep patching my robe. She noticed what she was saying and realized, such is the origin of materialism. She then told the villagers to dismantle the hut, sent the boy back to his family, gave the cow away and the field, and found a good home for her cat. A few days later, she had returned to her simple life with few possessions and dwelling in a cave. After returning one morning from the village uh, with just enough alms food for her one meal of the day, she noticed that the mouse had chewed another hole in her robe. With a quiet smile, she sewed on another patch. So, um, Pretty straightforward story, I think, moral-wise. Uh, and it really, for me at least, helps me reflect on the ways that we will create 100, or shout out to Jay-Z, 99 problems and attempt to solve or protect against uh, another. And this uh, solving can usually uh, unconsciously and unintentionally impact the way that our life unfolds. And of course, like in this story, it might be easier to see how we do this with material things. But a question that came up for me is, what about our vulnerabilities or our points of insecurity? Um, another story about myself. Um, I have a condition uh, called alopecia areata, which causes spontaneous hair loss. And uh, for most people, it starts off like just a little quarter size patch of hair loss somewhere on the body. Um, it goes missing for a couple of months, perhaps a couple of years. And for a small percentage of those folks, this happens to a greater degree, uh, majority of hair loss or universal hair loss that lasts uh, for more than a couple of years and perhaps a lifetime. So it looks like I did hit that lottery. Um, I, I don't shave uh, or anything, this is how I, how I roll. So from the age of 10, um, I had, you know, a small percentage um, to uh, more or less what you see now as um, a late teen. And of course, being a Zen priest in a temple, uh, this hardly gets noticed, but decades prior, um, this condition, even though it's not contagious, um, non-health impacting, other than I get sweat in my eyes quite easy, 
had major, uh, major impact on how my life has unfolded. So I don't have time to get into all the, the details, um, but in short, the, the way I compensated one thing after another really molded my life. Um, a lot of it you know, had to do with getting teased or feeling different, um, which really impacts so many aspects of how I socialize or socialize, and I mean, it's probably still playing out to this day, and really informed many um, aspects of my life as I adjusted to this big hole uh, a mouse had chewed in my appearance. And, you know, I wonder what it would have been like if I just gave myself uh, the patch that I needed, uh, some, some really thorough self-acceptance. Um, and really, you know, not to beat myself up, I was a preteen and everything, but this pattern of not patching uh, a hole or perhaps uh, not loving yourself the way you are can cause a great amount of suffering. And uh, at least in my case, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to fix one problem and created many others. So uh, now we're kind of at the, the grand future here. Um, this uh, great book um, is something that was shared with me, I don't know, maybe about five years ago. It kind of floats around in Zen circles. Uh, I heard it from Abbas Fru, Fru uh, from Green Gulch. And now I uh, got the great opportunity to start sharing with my daughter, Maya, who completely lights up when she hears the story. She thinks it's so fascinating. I wish you could uh, see the expression on her face when I read it, but it's really a, a classic that reminds us that the greatest gift we can give is our presence and attention. Uh, it's called The Gift of Nothing by Patrick McDonald. And some of you may have seen his work or not, maybe seen it unintentionally if you've ever looked at comic strips in newspapers. He does a daily comic called Mutts, which uh, follow the adventures of uh, a cat named Mooch and a dog named Earl, uh, which is probably it's probably been going since some of you were born in 1994 so i'm going to scoot up for this so that you can see the gift of nothing how's that i can okay that looks it seems like it's good it was a special day and mooch that's Mooch right there, wanted to give his best friend, Earl, a gift. But what to get him? He had a bowl. He had a bed. He had a chew toy. Squeak. He had it all. Mooch thought and he thought, what do you get someone who has everything? There's Mooch pondering it. Nothing, he exclaimed. He would give Earl the gift of nothing. But what in the world, or what in this world filled with so many somethings where could he find nothing? 
Mooch often heard Frank say, there's nothing on TV. But as far as Mooch could tell, there was always something on TV. Blah, 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 blah. Mooch often heard Doozy and her friends say, there's nothing to do. But as far as Mooch could tell, everyone was always doing something. Millie came home from the store and said, there's nothing to buy. So Mooch went shopping. There goes Mooch running off to the city. And then here's Mooch going into a, looks like a big department store. Mooch looked up and down every aisle. He found many, many, many somethings. The latest this, the newest that. But as far as he could tell, nothing was not for sale. So Mooch went home. The poor Mooch trotting back through the snowy day and sat on his Zafu. Okay, it's just a cat pillow, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna roll with that. And just stayed still as monks, I mean, I mean uh, cats often do. Excuse my bad zen humor. And not looking for it, he found nothing. So he went and got a box and put nothing in it. Then Mooch thought, hmm, maybe Earl deserves more than this. So he got a bigger box. What a generous friend. Now that's plenty of nothing. And then it shows Mooch just carrying across the, the gift over to Earl's. For me? Mooch, you didn't have to give me anything. Who told him, thought Mooch. Earl opened Mooch's gift, looked inside. There's nothing here, said Earl. Yes, said Mooch, nothing. I like how Mooch says yes with the H. That's, that's, that's really, you know. Special to my heart. He said, but me and you. And then you see Earl and Mooch embracing each other. So Mooch and Earl just stayed still and enjoyed nothing. And everything. There they are playing with the bows. Ooh. Back to my little kitty cushion here. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, giver, receiver, and gift uh, being the wheel of Buddhism. And this story, to me, at least, and to my heart, is clearly about giving your love, time, and uh, presence as a gift uh, being more than important than any material offering. Um, and of course, more questions come up for me because that's, that's how I am. Uh, 
And when I was reflecting upon this is, yes, we can do that for others, um, but could we also give our time, love, appreciation, and presence to ourselves with nothing attached? So as Mooch did Zazen, um, and as we do with ours, can we just sit and, and be, see what comes? Can we just allow ourselves to be aware with nothing needed? So before we close, I have a gift for you. Guess what it is? So for the next two minutes, um, we're just gonna sit together, uh, sit as you are and give yourself the gift of nothing. Okay, thank you for joining me in nothing. A couple more words, and I really do encourage you to, to find a couple times per day, perhaps, or at least once per day, to be when you wake up or before you go to bed, to really give yourself that gift of not having to be or to do, and just relax and enjoy the moment. So when we uh, turn towards uh, this teaching of giver, receiver, and gift, it really is an opportunity to be free uh, in any given moment. Practicing receiving, practicing giving, and, and being a gift. When we practice in this way, we'll be more complete in any given moment. And uh, from my experience, we'll be more helpful to those around us, including ourselves. So I teach a, a mindfulness uh, to two first grade 
classes on, on Fridays and I always give them homework. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna leave you with some if that's okay. And it won't be, won't be bad. So this holiday season, however you celebrate, um, consider how you give and how you receive and what are the gifts that are uh, entailed. And Ajahn, uh, the, the person who wrote the uh, Mousehole book, encouraged in one of his talks that you could actually send a message of kindness to someone that could use it this season, um, perhaps just expressing your care or um, perhaps giving forgiveness, um, if that's appropriate. My spin to that, I think what would be most beneficial is to actually write a message to yourself, giving the gift of nothing if you want, or perhaps declaring love or acceptance for yourself, or a commitment to be more present in your own, for your own life and those who are important to you. So maybe you could just take a moment and write a statement, um, and it could even be forgiveness for yourself. But uh, after you have that written down, take some really nice, or take your time to wrap it nice, give it a, a bow, a box, and all the fixings, and, and really carefully when the time is right, uh, whenever that's right for you, mirrors, or when the time is right, wholeheartedly open it and read the message out loud to yourself. I love you. I forgive you. I'm here for you. May you have joy. It's okay to cry. And as Mooch and Earl did, I invite you to stay still, enjoy nothing, and everything.